Second Peter chapter 2 beginning verse 1 says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but save Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Father, we, as always, just humbly ask and pray for the help and assistance of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we acknowledge and recognize that this is unlike any other book on the planet because it has been inspired by your very Spirit to speak to us the very words of God, the ways of God, the will of God, and your truth. So we pray that you'd give us an ear to hear what your Spirit would say to your church from this portion of your Holy Word, that you'd give us a reverent and receptive heart, that we would be ready in every way that that requires for each one of us. And Lord, we pray that we wouldn't hear wise or persuasive words of a man, but experience that demonstration of your spirit and power speaking to each one of our hearts in a personal way. So Lord, bless your word as we study it and speak to us. And we ask those things expectantly in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Did you know that the devil actually calls and puts people into the ministry? How do you know if I'm one of them? Would you know if I was one of them? Are you discerning enough in what the Word of God teaches and sensible enough to realize that just like there's genuine money, that there's also the existence of counterfeit money? Well, you know, the Bible is very clear and direct in regards to the reality that there has always been and there will always be the existence of that which is false spiritually as much as that which is true and genuine spiritually and that comes all the way down to those who would represent in a sense the things of God the word of God listen there are people who stand behind pulpits there are people who hold the word of God in their hand there are people who can say 
statements from the word of God, can quote scriptures. Truth be told, you read the gospels, you find out in the temptation of Christ when the devil tempted him. In the midst of that, the devil himself quoted scripture. And we need to realize that just because someone quotes scripture, because they have a badge or a label or some ministry name or some you know, charismatic personality or the ability to say Jesus and communicate things, many of which may even be true, does not authenticate the fact that they are genuinely a servant of the living God and ordained by the Spirit of God and in right communion with Jesus Christ and pointing people into the ways of Christ. Because the reality is the Bible tells us very clearly that we have to be aware that there are those who can do all those things, many, many things right, and yet still uh, be completely erroneous in the direction in which they would lead a person spiritually. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 7 verse 15 and you know and I encourage you this morning and and maybe specifically as we go through uh, these passages I'm going to share some other uh, scripture references as well and you know this may just be a good morning above other mornings to to make reference and note of other places that you realize that this isn't just an isolated issue that Peter was dealing with in his day this is something that Jesus the Old Testament the New Testament speaks about continuously throughout the word of God to caution us and Jesus in Matthew 7:15 declared these words listen to what our lord said he said beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravenous wolves and he said you will know them by their fruits so Jesus cautioned and warned of the reality that there would be he said in his day God in the flesh, he said, beware, there will be false prophets. Even as there exists of true prophets of God, those who speak the word of God sent by God, he said, beware, there will also be false prophets. And he indicated, much like Peter does here, he says, they will come to you, in a sense, in sheep's clothing, that is, they will look like Christians, they'll look like sheep, they'll have all the outward trappings of looking like one of God's sheep, but he says inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Their nature internally under the covering of their Christian cloak or being one of God's sheep and among the flock of God, he says there's just a cover-up to be able to devour and to indulge themselves by preying upon the flock of God. It's interesting when Jesus uses that word ravenous wolves there, uh, when you look at the the language, it literally indicates an extortioner. That was the term that Jesus was using as he was describing the nature of false prophets and false teachers. He says they're, they're basically like extortioners who have a appetite to just devour and prey upon the flock of God, vulnerable sheep. I mean, what better place to work the uh, techniques of deception than among a group of people who are known to be loving and, and you know, we, we don't want to be judgmental. I mean, who has not? Let's just be very candid in this room. Who has not watched uh, some of these hucksters on uh, television sometimes? And I'm not saying that everyone who was on television uh, is somebody that is questionable. I mean, you know, I love Billy Graham programs and guys like Charles Stanley. They're great, solid guys on television programs. But who has not watched some of these individuals who uh, have airtime and afterwards thought, you have got to be kidding me. 
And, and, and yet then after we see the antics and things that go on, who also does not go, oh, am, I being a little, am I being judgmental though? And then you like have this guilt complex, like am I being critical and, and judgmental and all, oh, Lord, you know, is that judgmental to think that this guy is a knucklehead? I mean, he's he just a knucklehead with a Bible in his hand. And how could people buy into this stuff? But then we struggle and wrestle with the possibility of, is that judgmental at the same time? Well, yet Jesus says... The way that you'll know them is by their fruits. That we are to examine the fruit. We are to look at what is the outworking of their life and of their ministry and that we are to be discerning. That we are to recognize. Jesus says you will know them. There is a way to know them. God gives us a whole chapter in his word here in 2 Peter chapter 2 to say this is how you can know them. These are marks of them. These are identifications of the type of things that you will see among those who are false teachers. Interesting in Matthew 24 when Jesus was teaching regarding the marks of the last days on earth, he then said regarding the description of some of the marks of the last days, he said then in the last days many false prophets will rise up and deceive many for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show listen great signs and wonders that speaks of miraculous powers which indicates as other places in the Bible too that everything that happens that seems supernatural and miraculous healings miracles does not necessarily indicate that it is God who is behind that supernatural activity and we need to be discerning because of that. Jesus said one of the marks to prove to us that we are entering further and closer into the last days is there will be a, 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 a rise in the increase of false teachers and false prophets and those who are creating great confusion and deception in the realms of spiritual things that we will see an increase in those things. Now, Peter, no doubt, remembering these things himself, that he heard the Lord say firsthand as he traveled around and ministered with him, was no doubt in his day beginning to see this manifest itself among the church. First Peter was all about the problem of the threatenings from outside the church, persecution coming against the church, an anti-Christian culture, an anti-Christian government, and the threatenings of suffering against God's people for just being Christ followers. The letter of Second Peter, Peter is concerned not so much in warning about what's happening from without, but he's now concerned what he's beginning to see happen from within from right within the ranks of God's own church and God's own people, even as Paul warned about in Acts chapter 20 with the elders at Ephesus, he said, I've warned you before that not only will savage wolves come from without and try and devour the flock, but he said in Acts 20, but men from within will rise up speaking perverse things, the idea is distorted things, to draw away disciples after themselves. So Paul himself warned in the same way. Look, yeah, there'll be people who come from without, but he says there will also be the time when people rise up from right from within and seek to draw away disciples after themselves. And no doubt Peter was beginning to see this in his day, so he issues this warning. He spends an entire chapter on this specific subject to make sure we're not naive and deceived. And listen, 
if this was a concern in Peter's day and Jesus said it would be a mark in the last days, if that was a concern to him then, this generation of the church certainly needs to hear this message more than any prior generation. Because no matter how close we indeed are to the coming of the Lord, and I believe we're very close from what I see on the horizon, we are closer than the previous generation. So every generation needs to take heed and pay attention, and certainly we in this generation need to be all the more concerned than prior generations because we are one step closer no matter which way you slice it. So this is a very important message given to us. Now remember, Peter, as he comes into these things, in the last verses of chapter 1, has just spoken about the assurance of the inspiration of the Scriptures. That God's Word in its origin is divine. It's not a man-made book that it was inspired and breathed out by the Holy Spirit, like Second Peter, or excuse me, Second Timothy chapter three says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That it was literally breathed out by God. We saw this last week as we were closing out our time together, as Peter said there in First Peter. Excuse me, 2 Peter 1, verse 19, he says, we have the prophetic word confirmed. And the idea is he was saying, listen, I just had an incredible spiritual experience. And he described the transfiguration when he saw Moses and Elijah and, and Jesus in his glorified form and a preview of coming attractions of the kingdom of God. But Peter said, but you know what, though that experience was legitimate. I had a genuine spiritual experience, he says, but I would never let that experience supersede my assurance and reliability upon what is spiritually credible by the confirmation of the prophetic holy scriptures. He said, I would always put stock in what the scripture says first. And he said, and I just saw that as a confirmation of what the scriptures prophesied. And Peter sought to point attention to reliability upon the word of God. He said, which you, verse 19, do well to heed as well as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns, the coming of the Lord. And the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, it wasn't of the prophet's own unfolding. He wasn't giving his own ideas as those who were writing Scripture. The prophets of old, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they weren't just unfolding and unpacking their own ideas. They weren't sitting down saying, hmm, what kind of you know, creative stories and interesting fables can we come up with? And how can we all collaborate and, and maybe come up with some really... Peter says, no, this was not the case. His declaration, verse 21, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Men were just the ink pen, if you would, in the hand of Almighty God. And God wanted to speak to man, and what better way to speak to man than to speak to him in his own language. So God moved men by his Holy Spirit, and the idea there, again, we said, is like wind blowing into the, the sails of a ship and pushing it in a certain direction because of the strength of the wind current. God, by his spirit, was directing the thoughts, the ideas, the things that were coming forth as those who were recording his word were writing them. And God was just using them as vessels. But their words were not their words. They were the words of God. 
They were just being used by God to record those things. And we talked last week about the reliability of the origin of the Scripture being divine. And that's why it is reliable. There is no more reliable thing that you can put your hands on on this planet than the very book that you hold in your hands this morning. It is credible, it is reliable for many different reasons. The, you know, the internal unity, the archaeological credibility, fulfilled prophecy. All these different reasons why we know that the Word of God is authentic and certain and how hearing and heeding the Scripture is a safeguard and the best way, the best way to confirm that you have truly heard from God. A lot of times you'll know, hey, did I hear from God? Is this from God? Listen, the best way to confirm that you've truly heard from God is to use His Word as the source for making certain that you have safely heard His voice and not your own or the voice of some man or the voice of the devil himself. But whenever there is genuine, there will always be counterfeits. So as he speaks of the genuine prophets of old, the genuine prophetic scriptures, Peter then transitions verse one of chapters two saying, but there will also, excuse me, there were, even as there were genuine prophets recording scripture, there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying, he says, the Lord who bought them and bringing on themselves swift destruction so here in verse 1 Peter by the Spirit's leading identifies the existence of false teachers uh, he identifies here the, the reality that we can be absolutely certain in fact expectant that there will be the presence of false teachers in existence among the church of God he mentions a few different things here. First of all, he says, look, this has always been a pattern that has existed of the counterfeit existing alongside the genuine. He said it's always been a pattern. He says to us here in verse 1, as there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be, it's a, it's a promise of God, even as there will be false teachers among you. And we read the Old Testament scriptures in the days of the prophet Elijah. There were the prophets of Baal. There were false prophets at the same time. In the days of Jeremiah, there were false prophets who were preaching a different message than the true message that Jeremiah was preaching. There were false prophets in the days of old and there were false prophets in the early church. And the Bible says, even so, that pattern will progress throughout the age of history and the church, even as there will be false teachers among you. There will always be, as there has always been, the existence of the counterfeit alongside that which is genuine. We have genuine money, but we also have what? Counterfeit money. And the same exists in the spiritual realm. And I don't know why in some senses this is so shocking to people. 
I don't understand why too some people this this almost alarms people or this even becomes a, a uh, you know a potential thing for why people want to want to in a sense you know cut off the nose despite the faith and we say you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater and people want to take Christianity and the Word of God and and Jesus and say well I'm, you know because of this you know character on TV or this guy who's doing this thing over here and people who are unsaved a lot of times are a lot less gullible and naive than Christians are because they're not so concerned about am I being judgmental am I unloving they, they don't quite honestly they don't care <laughs> they just yeah I'm going to judge that's stupid that guy's a knucklehead how can you people well look what he's doing he's just after people's money or he's he's telling people things that are off the wall how are people blind how would they follow that and and the reality is I don't understand why in some senses however though that becomes an issue where people say well forget all of Christianity and forget all the word of God and forget Jesus because there are fakes well listen there's lots of forms of counterfeit money can I have all your money forget money I don't want anything to do with money because there's counterfeits. Give me all your genuine. I can put it in some good use. We don't put that same idea into practice. But people do that with spiritual things. They want to push aside everything genuine and not even give an opportunity for it. Rather than just saying, no, the reality is there is an authentic. And there are going to be lots of counterfeits as well. Our responsibility is to discern the difference. And to realize if there are a lot of counterfeits, listen, that also proves there is something genuine. When I witnessed to someone a number of years ago on the Atlantic City boardwalk, and he was a very devout Muslim, and rather than get into dialoguing a whole bunch of things, and I'm not a very intelligent person to start with, so he probably would have tied me in verbal knots. I just took money out of my pocket, and I said, here, I want to give you a dollar. He said, why do you want to give me a dollar? I said, because I love you. What do you want? I don't even know me. I just want to give you a dollar. And I said, do you want it? Well, I said, well, would you use it? Why would you? Because it's, because it's, so you believe this is real? And I said, you sure you believe this is real? Yeah, I can, I can tell it's a genuine real dollar bill. I said, well, okay, so if, if the genuine exists, I said, what does that tell you? That, then if there's a, there's a genuine bill, there are also counterfeits. So I just looked at him, I said, one of us is right and one of us is incredibly wrong. I would encourage you to figure that out before you die. And I just left it at that with him. Look, there is a genuine and a counterfeit, and the reality is that because there is counterfeits, is a greater conviction of assurance that there is something genuine. It's this book. There is a genuine way to get to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. And to me, it solidifies insurance in my heart that because of all the counterfeit that exists in the world, that there is legitimately a genuine thing that I better be very serious about adherence to it. And here Peter just points out, there will be false teachers. Notice he says, among you, that is among the ranks of God's people. This is what false teachers do. Another thing we see, false teachers will position themselves among the ranks of the church. This is what they do. They, they, they infiltrate the ranks of God's people and like wolves in sheep's clothing, they, they, they position themselves where they have access to God's people under the right labels and so they can rub shoulders with Christians and, and gradually begin to win them over and, and pull them off into their ideas. But, but this is what they will do. Jesus spoke of the fact that there would be you know, tares among the wheat. And, and this is just a reality. They will be among us. 
At times they will show up in the midst of us among God's people. And, and notice how they operate. He says false teachers operate in very subtle and sneaky ways. He says they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Notice that term, you should circle it, secretly. They secretly bring in their destructive heresies. Again, they're not going to be obvious. A false teacher is not going to commit into the midst of God's people and have a placard or a t-shirt on that says, hey, I'm a false teacher. If you don't like what he's saying, are you interested in a Bible study? Okay, they're, they're not going to make it very evident who they are. Typically, they're going to come in and, and, and be amongst the people of God. And I look for on occasion as well, even as a shepherd over the flock. Of God, I look for occasion as well when I see people who are you know, kind of excited and, and toting their Bible and, and, and kind of you know, looking for people on the fringes and wanting to you know, show them things. And well, I, I mean, yeah, they say some good thing. But if you really want to come into the deeper things of God, or if you really want to see, you know, this particular, you know, doctrine, then, you know, I, I have this little thing that I do over here on this night, and, and, and I, I can, you know, they're going to tell you some things there, but they're just, I mean, they're just going to plod through the Bible there. But if you really want some real clear insight, and they kind of work the fringes, and they look for naive, gullible people, and they gradually begin to win them over. And they, get, they secretly bring in the... They may say 98% of what's accurate. But if you flew from New York to California and you were just one degree off, I tell you this, you're going to be nowhere near your destination the time you fly from New York to San Diego if you're just one degree off. If you're blessed, maybe you might end up in Oregon. But you're going to be way off. It doesn't... You can say 99% of what's right and the tiniest bit be off and it still be something that can become very damaging and misleading. He says they secretly bring in destructive heresies. That term heresy that Peter uses is a term that literally meant to make a choice. It was a term used to describe a sect as a sect would kind of separate themselves and establish a sect. And, and the idea there is to make a choice. Is The destructive heresy is, is forcing someone to make a decision contrary to what is the accepted truth. In fact, when you look up the definition of the word heresy, it's defined as an idea which is a denial of revealed or accepted truth, a deviation from established doctrine or practice. And this is what happens. They bring in destructive heresies. Notice heresy is destructive. Heresy is harmful. You know, one of the things that saddens my heart is at times ministers of the gospel will have a moral failure. It's sad, it's unfortunate, but we see it. Men have feet of clay and they fail on occasion. And if somebody commits a moral failure in the body of Christ, we are very quick to rise up and to say, you must step down from your position of authority. You are not fit to lead the people of God. But yet the thing that saddens me is if somehow moral failure because of a poor example and, and sin in someone's life disqualifies them to continue to lead and serve God's people, but yet people can deviate in their spiritual doctrine and people don't see that as harmful or as destructive. 
I would be bold enough to say that if somebody who's in a place of spiritual leadership commits adultery, yes, they should step down. That's a moral failure. And that they should not be someone who's continued to be followed. But if someone is beginning to misguide people spiritually, I would venture to say I think they can destroy more people's lives by beginning to deviate spiritually than they can by just having had a poor example of a moral failure before people as their leader. And the Bible says, yes, heresy is not just harmful, it's destructive. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. That's pretty strong language, is it not? Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. There are doctrines that will be propagated among the so-called ranks of the church. The Bible says that can be doctrines that are led by demons. That demonic spirits can push doctrines, winds of doctrine that blow through the church and begin to lead people off into unhealthy directions. If you've been a Christian any amount of time, you see these things. They, they come blowing through the church. And we have to be aware and conscious of these realities. Again, you notice what he says here, these destructive heresies. He says, verse 1, going on, even denying the Lord who bought them. So another thing we see of false teachers is that they will deny and discount the importance of the centrality of the Lord. They even deny the Lord who bought them. Jesus who purchased salvation for all who would choose to come freely to him he says they, they, there's a sense in their ministry, in their methods, in the, the destructive heresies where what they do is they deny or discount the importance of the centrality of Christ, which is to be the message of the church. Either they're denying the deity of Jesus, as many cults do. Many pseudo-Christian cults, they deny who Jesus really is, that he is the son of God. Or they somehow begin to diminish the importance of Jesus. And here's how. By directing people's attention to all these other peripheral things. So instead of the focus being on Jesus Christ and the centrality of Christ and his shed blood for sins and his resurrection and his coming again and the need of repenting from sin and turning to Christ from salvation and exalting Christ and pointing people to the Lord. Instead, they diminish the centrality of Christ in their ministry because their attention and their focus of their ministry is always on something else whether it's the overemphasis on money whether it's the overemphasis on personality and so they become you know the personality that all the attention is always given to or whether it's the overemphasis on signs and wonders and miracles or prosperity gospel whatever but the attention causes the, the importance of Christ to be diminished they deny the very Lord in the way that they operate, in the things that they communicate. And as a result of that, Peter says at the end of verse 1, they are bringing on themselves swift destruction. They are provoking the righteous judgment of God because they are completely transgressing what God intends for those who would serve in those rules. Verse 2 he says, And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth 
will be blasphemed. So we see a few other things regarding false teachers. Sadly, verse 2 tells us here that false teachers can often have a great deal of popularity. They can have a mark of a very successful following. Look at the language. This is the word of God. And as it speaks of false teachers, it says in chapter 2, verse 2, many will follow their destructive ways. Now, I wouldn't be real surprised if God said in his words, some will follow their destructive ways. But the word of God says many Many will follow their destructive ways, which means that false teachers will have an appearance of popularity at times to their ministry. Just because there's a great successful following does not automatically authenticate that somebody is genuinely of God and being used by his spirit. We need to be careful of that. Now, that doesn't mean as well that if someone has a large following that they're not legitimate either. Let's, let's not be you know, out of balance here. But we read here that there can be a great popularity and a, and a successfulness even when it's a false teaching and a ministry that is not truly led of God's spirit in what it is doing. Matthew 7 verse 13 to 15, Jesus said this, preceding his warning of false prophets. Listen to what he said. Matthew 7 13, he said, enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. Again, Jesus said the way of destruction, it's a broad way. Lots of people are, are, are taking the broad, wide way into destruction. But he says there's a narrow way that leads to life. It is a narrow way. It is a narrow way of only coming to God through the salvation of his son, Jesus Christ, and accepting his shed blood for our sins and accepting his forgiveness and his gift of eternal life by faith and by the grace of God alone, saving us and giving us that assurance, not working for it, earning it, going through some system or some church or some individual, no, but, but through the narrow gate of Jesus himself. And Jesus said that, he says, broad is the way and many who go in by it to destruction. Narrow is the way and difficult the way that leads to eternal life of the narrowness of, of Christ's offer. And again, he said those terms and then the next thing he said is, beware of false prophets because the false prophets will lead many into that broad destructive way. So there's that warning here that we need to pay attention to. Now, now I can't help but to read what verse 2 says, and I, I have to question, why many? I mean, does, doesn't that st strike you again? The thought of, I could see, well, some will follow, but why many? Why would many people follow destructive heresies and the ways of false teachers? And I cannot come to any other conclusion other than simply naivety. An ignorance of scripture and a natural gullibility of what is true and what is false spiritually and a lack of discernment. Hosea 4, God declared this through the prophet. God said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. The safest thing we can do is have a good working knowledge of the truth 
and therefore be able to discern what is not of the truth and what is false. Uh, again, Peter says, and because of these false teachers, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Blasphemed. The way of truth. Well, what's the way of truth? Well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So, uh, the way of truth is the way of Jesus. It's the way to the truth. It's the way to experience the truth himself, who is Jesus Christ. And the Bible's telling us, because of false teachers, the way of truth will be blasphemed. It will be mocked. It will be reviled. It will be criticized. Again, why? Because believers will drift into things that will cause people to scratch their heads who look on at Christians, professing Christians, who then get themselves entangled in things because they buy into you know, the wrong concepts that are conveyed to them by those who are liberal or false in their teachings. And then people look on that are non-Christians and they mock and criticize. And they blaspheme the way of truth. Or people watch those, again, who are false teachers and the unsaved who many times exemplify more discernment than the church. And what happens? Because of false teachers, they blaspheme and they criticize Christianity. Look at these people. This is ridiculous. I can't believe these people buy into this stuff. And the way of truth gets blasphemed. And people criticize and mock what is the true way of salvation because of the activities of false teachers. Verse 3, Peter then goes on to say, By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. And for a long time, their judgment has not been idle. And their destruction does not slumber. So, Peter tells us a little bit, verse 3, as well of the motivation of these false teachers. He'll talk about this more later in the chapter. He says, verse 3 here, by covetousness, the term literally is greediness, by greed and covetousness, they will exploit you. The old King James says, make merchandise of you. That's pretty clear. They will exploit you with deceptive words. Covetousness. In other words, a major motivation for those who are false teachers is greediness. Greediness marks their ministry. Just, a lot of times the emphasis is upon finances. The emphasis is upon what you can give and what you should do. And, and, and it's a ministry that's motivated by self-indulgence. It's a ministry that's motivated by being able to get for oneself rather than to be in a place to give something of God's help to his people. And he says they will actually, strong terms here, he says exploit you with deceptive words. That word exploit, when you look at the term, literally means to make productive use of unjustly for one's own advantage. Let me say that again. To make productive use of somebody unjustly for your own advantage. We say things like, exploit your enemy's weaknesses. Or if you're competing, exploit your you know, competitor's weaknesses. And, and the idea there, we understand that, is to make productive use of something and someone for your own advantage. And he's saying, this is some of what false teachers do. 
They, in their greediness and covetousness for self-indulgence and personal enrichment, he says, they actually take productive use of the weaknesses of people for their own advantages. The idea here, again, the old King James says make merchandise of, it indicates to make, the idea is kind of to make a business deal that's profitable. If I can illustrate in your mind quite simply, it's like a crooked or aggressive salesman who will do or say whatever they have to say to close the deal. And maybe you've been on the receiving end of that. Where you can almost sense, you know, it just I just get the sense here at the car lot or with the vacuum cleaner or, you know, whatever it is. I just, get, if you sell cars or vacuum cleaners, forgive me, I'm just trying to be theoretical examples here. You've been on the receiving end of that before where you can almost sense, it, I almost get the impression that this person is just willing to say or do whatever they have to do to just close the deal. Quite honestly, if you're in sales, maybe, maybe before you came to the Lord or maybe even presently, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you've been in that place where as a salesman and you want to be successful so much that you'll kind of, you understand how to work the angles and you want to close the deal and you're willing to say whatever you got to say to close the deal. You're willing to do whatever you got to do to close the deal, to make it happen. To capitalize for your own advantage and you will exploit things in other people to close the deal. Well, listen, the Bible is just simply saying a lot of times false teachers, truth be told, they are just talented religious salespeople. They exist. It's what they do. And we are kidding ourselves if we don't acknowledge the reality of the existence of such things. He says they will exploit you through deceptive words. Deceptive words. Interesting, the, the Greek there is plastos. That's where we get the English word plastic. They use plastic words. The idea, again, there is, uh, their words are fake. They're, they're just imitations. They're not what genuine. They use fake imitation plastic words and they use deceptive words to mislead people to capitalize from their place of, of spiritual kind of covering that they operate under. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says, very, very important. I want you to hear this. Pay attention. 2 Corinthians 11 says, For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, Paul says, for Satan himself transforms into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. Do you hear what the Bible says there? Satan, again, as a fallen spiritual being, can transform himself into an angel of light. Oh, I had this spiritual experience. And something was saying, come to the light. Or those who start pseudo-Christian cults. I had this angel appear to me and say, put on these special glasses and you'll be able to have deep insights into things that other people don't. The Bible says Satan masquerades can transform himself into an angel of light. Listen, the devil's not stupid. If you're going to deceive people, do a good job of it. He's going to come in a black beard and a red cape and a pitchfork and do you want to follow me? <laughs> of course not. He's going to work the angles to, 
to make it seem as as wonderful and spiritual and, 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 and impressive as possible. Here's the thing that alarms me is the Bible says it is no great thing regarding Satan who transforms himself into an angel light. It says it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. His ministers? Does the Bible actually say that? Yes, the Bible does. Listen, that is why it is so critical that we use discernment. Peter says in verse 3, the time of their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. Notice God's indictment and God's ultimate plan, verse 3, for those who are false teachers. He says two words there, judgment and destruction. If you're pondering a career path, I don't know if I recommend that. A good portion of the rest of the chapter, and obviously this was all the Lord would have us to cover this morning. <laughs> don't get panicked. I'm not going to keep you here till 1 o'clock. Uh, the rest of the chapter, a great deal of it, speaks of the severity of the judgment of God that is coming upon them. He's going to say, as we read, though we're not going to look at it this morning, verse 4 through 6, look, if God didn't spare erring angels, if God didn't spare the ungodly world in Noah's day or the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, if God didn't spare them judgment, then false teachers aren't going to get away with what they're doing either. Judgment and destruction will come. I think that's encouraging because sometimes we get a little bothered and upset in some ways as we see what goes on. Uh, listen, God's got it under control. They are bringing upon themselves what is just and in a sense, what our role and responsibility needs to be in this matter, and I want to leave you with kind of this thought this morning, is that we need to be aware and wise regarding the fact that there are false teachers among the church. We need to be aware of that. We need to just recognize it, be privy to that and, and understanding. 1 John 4, 1 says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Test all things and hold fast to that which is good. Don't believe every spirit. Test all things. Hold fast to that which is good. You can in love still be discerning. You should still be discerning. In love, I want to protect my children from weirdos and predators, so I educate them. And I educate them to warn them, to protect them, because whether I like it or not, there are weirdos. There are sick people in the world. And I don't want to make my children vulnerable. I want them to understand that there are ways to possibly avoid those things. And the greatest safeguard you can have is to be familiar with the authentic truth of the Word of God. Because listen, even if you can't put your finger on chapter, verse, you know how this works. There have been times where I'll be around somebody or I'll hear something on the radio and, and, and I may not even be able to put my finger on, hey, what, that chapter, that verse, but something within me ratifies and goes, mm, I don't know about that. And it's because the truth of God's word is in your being and it safeguards and it protects you. 
And you discern and you have a reservation in your spirit because you know the word of God. And Jesus said to the Christian, the spirit of truth lives inside of you, the Holy Spirit. The Bible calls him the spirit of truth. Be sensitive to the testimony of the Holy Spirit in life. I'm not telling you to go out and be a spiritual headhunter. And we need to be careful. Because in this issue, sometimes people and their apologetic zeal and everything else, you know, they, they want to clearly identify what's, what's obviously wrong. But then sometimes people want to come into churches, even become spiritual headhunters, or they go after ministries and things that are, are secondary issues, you know, different points on eschatology or, or the gifts of the Spirit. People become spiritual headhunters. Listen, be careful. Core essentials are core essentials. There are areas we can agree to disagree. It doesn't make somebody a heretic because they have a different view of eschatology than you do or than I do. But there are clearly those who are false teachers and heretics and are teaching aberrant things that are secretly introducing things that are going to shipwreck people's lives spiritually. And there is a time to discern those things. And the spirit of truth within you is the greatest safeguard. And I point that out for you this morning to say this. If you are not a born-again Christian this morning, you are extremely, extremely, extremely vulnerable to spiritual deception. And the wisest thing you could do is to recognize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and no one comes to the Father but through Him. And to submit this morning your life to Jesus Christ as sinner and say, Jesus, I am sorry for my sins against you. I want to know that I am going to heaven after I die. And I'm tired of trying to live my life, rule my life, control my life. And there is no wiser thing I can do than to surrender myself to you and, and follow you as Lord. Uh, so Jesus, today, I'm ready. I'm ready to follow you as the truth. Because then the spirit of truth will enter inside of your life as the Holy Spirit takes up residence within you and God gets on the inside and your life will be sealed and safeguarded in a whole nother level of protection. Because deception is real. I tell you this, there are lots of religious people burning in hell who went all through the antics of religiosity and, and you know followed practices and this and that and were sincere. We're deeply sincere in religious practices and observances and all these things, but yet all the while, in religion was the great opiate that the devil used to deceive them from truly coming to salvation in Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus this morning before you leave this place, can I encourage you, embrace Jesus. You don't want to end up in the lake of fire. You don't want to end up spiritually deceived and shipwrecked. This morning, there's a free gift of God of eternal life available in Jesus Christ, but you have to receive that gift by faith, by embracing Christ as your Savior.